it's been a great profession for me. I've, I've uh, enjoyed it a lot. I didn't get get rich, but I, I had a good living. And uh, so I'm I've been very blessed. From the Texas Veterinary Medical Association in Austin, Texas, this is Veterinary Vitals, a show that features open and honest conversations with veterinary professionals. I'm your host, Dina Goldstein, Media Coordinator for TVMA. Veterinary medicine has evolved significantly over the past 50 to 60 years. Our guest today, Dr. Doyle Cooper, who graduated from Texas A&M University College of Veterinary Medicine in 1964, speaks to this evolution. From the emergence of specialists in the profession to pet owners considering their dogs and cats a part of the family. But in describing these changes, he also shares his story of growing up in the country in the 1940s and 50s, serving in the U.S. Navy, and building, buying, and selling multiple clinics during his 56 years in the profession. He also gives credit to the people who shaped his life along the way. And of course, he discusses just how much the world has changed since the 1940s, such as the price of gasoline and Coca-Cola. We talk about phones, televisions, computers, technology that we can't imagine living without in 2021. He takes us back to that slower time, but also offers career advice to the younger generation. Today, you can find him working at Northside Animal Hospital in Waco, Texas. Let's get to know him. First, we need to get one thing straight, what to call him. Here he is. My nickname, most people call me Bud. Most of the veterinary friends and friends call me Bud and clients call me Doyle. And why, why is it that, that friends call you Bud and your clients call you Doyle? Well, I just, because when I know somebody calls me Doyle, I know they don't know me real well, probably. <laughs> I don't remember uh, people probably as well as I used to, but no, I, my brother started that when I was two years old, started calling me but his little Bud, and Bud stuck. I've been Bud all my life. Um, what's funny is my mom has a dog named Cooper, but they just started calling him Buddy, and not, you know, not, oh, now, really? now that's his name. <laughs> yeah. So tell me, um, when did you realize you wanted to become a veterinarian? Well, my dad was a county agent in Somerville County where I was raised. And uh, I went everywhere with him when I was starting when I was four years old. And uh, he did all the veterinary work in Somerville County because we didn't have a veterinarian and they wouldn't come from Cleburne or, or Granbury. Well, there wasn't one in Granbury either, but anyway, he kept telling the school, if y'all get somebody to come here, I won't touch another animal. So he did like 2,100 calf pulls in 21 years. He kept a record of them, but we, of course he couldn't take pay or anything, but he just took care of them and he would call the doctors in Cleburne and uh, they'd say, go to the drugstore and get such and such when he would describe what was going on to him. And then he'd go, and he was really good at it. But anyway, so I've just, I traveled with him and I kind of from a young age, I wanted to be a veterinarian. And I told my dad I was either going to be a veterinarian or a surgeon. And when I spoke with you earlier, you said you had this 
very you know concrete experience where you said you went into a blood bank and you realized from that experience that that's when you knew you wanted to be a veterinarian can you tell me about that well yeah it wasn't a blood bank it was uh uh one night some friends of mine for for two dates uh were in a car wreck pretty bad car wreck and my dad was a universal blood donor and they always called him when they needed somebody in a hurry and i was probably a junior senior in high school and he uh went down to give blood and I went with him and three of them were had broken bones and cuts and you know but uh one of them said oh, I'm all right I'll I'll lay down over here you take care of the ones that are beat up well he laid over there and died bled internally and going home from that I told my dad I said I think I'm going to be a veterinarian I don't think I can uh I don't think I can handle losing people be bad enough for dogs and cats and whatever yeah so, so that really solidified that career path for you, realizing that you didn't want to be a, a human doctor. Yeah, yeah, that's, I just decided I'd rather deal with animals. Wouldn't be maybe quite as traumatic. Yeah. So then what was your next step from there? Well, we were, we, we didn't have much money. And so going to school was going to be a problem. And I got a football scholarship to a small college. And so I went there and I figured, well, I'll wind up being a coach or something. Can't afford to go to school. And then I, I got hurt in spring training in my freshman year and couldn't play anymore. So, and I had met a young lady and we had started dating. So I went one more year to that school, got my grades up. And then we got married at the end of my sophomore year and went down to A&M and she worked and I had two or three jobs that I worked at. And uh, we, we did that for, four more years and got through vet school. So where was that first school you went, where you met your wife? Howard Payne College in uh, Brownwood, Texas. It's a small Baptist college, Howard Payne University now. So you, you made it sound like if you hadn't met your wife, you wouldn't have stayed there. I would have, I would have stayed there if I hadn't gotten hurt. But since I got hurt and since we were going to get married, it just uh, made sense for me to go ahead and do what I felt like I wanted to do because at least A&M's tuition was $50 a semester back then. So it was, it was easy to, if you could just live, you could get through school. And with her, she made about $200 working full time. And I made some money working in one sum, two summers down there. And then plus I, I had some jobs during school too. So what were those jobs that you had? I had worked in a lime quarry in five summers after my sophomore year in high school, and I learned a lot, drove trucks, had to had blow up rocks and things like that. And then I, that experience got me a job with the highway department, which was impossible to get. 8,000 Aggies down there wanting to work. But I got it, and I worked two summers there before I had to start going. Our last two years, I went 24 miles a month straight at uh, in school, in the vet school, because they were phasing the school from the semester system to the trimester system and our class was the first class to graduate in three years instead of four and then they went back to the semester system about 17 or 18 years later but anyway i i worked registrations uh every registration i would work that uh, my last two years i worked in the parasitology department uh helping 
Dr. Gowan get his PhD and work on different types of parasites on different animals, but I worked all the time there. I'd, I'd put in 80 to 100 hours a month working in the parasitology department while I was in vet school. So when you, what, what's your wife's name? Well, my first wife there was, uh, her name was Jan, and uh, she passed away from breast cancer in 02. And uh, then two years later, uh, I married a lady, her name is Ramona, uh, from our Sunday school class. And we've been married, well, that was in 04. So we've been married about 16 years. Oh, okay. From Jan and I were married 42 years. Yeah. So with Jan, you two moved um, to College Station. When you moved there, did you just start vet school or did you also do a little bit of undergrad? Yeah, I, I had, they didn't, well, I couldn't get some of the courses I needed. And so I, I went a year before I started vet school. I took, took the rest of my requirements, my physics and organic chemistry and stuff like that. So I got that out of the way the first year uh, that I was there and then uh, got into vet school the next year. And uh, then we were there for three more years getting through vet school. Okay. Where did you go from there? You, you became a veterinarian. And then tell me about your first job and, and what year was this okay I graduated in vet school August the 22nd of uh, 1964 and uh, then I I was going into the army because uh, they were drafting everybody for the buildup of Vietnam and uh, so I I joined early to get time in grade so I'd get promoted quicker but anyway uh, I went to San Antonio because I had four months uh, to do something before I went into the army in January and I fell into a job where it was a three doctor practice and one of them had a heart attack and he was on medical leave. And so I filled in for him for four months and it was a fantastic place to be. Two of the veterinarians in that practice had been president of the TVMA and that sort of thing. It was a very, very good practice, good place to learn. Anyway, then I went into the army for two years and, I was stationed in, in San Diego and was attached to the Navy for two years. And we inspected their, I had 11 enlisted men and we had, had uh, we inspected their food. I inspected the plants that sold to the military. And then uh, we checked everything as it came in. And then after I got out in January of uh, 67, I went back to San Antonio to that same practice. And I was there for, four years I actually bought into it and owned half the practice and then uh, had a opportunity to open a practice in Garland Texas which was more my country and I had a bunch of uncles up there is where my dad was raised and uh, so I built a practice in Garland Texas and uh, we uh, were there for three years and just blowing and going and doing really well. But then I decided I was raised in a small town and I just didn't want to raise my kids in the city. So I sold that practice and moved to Brownwood, Texas in uh, 1973. 
and uh, worked with another veterinarian there for a few months, and then I built a practice. And uh, I was there for, let's see, we were there for 12 years, I guess. Yeah, we were there for 12 years and uh, 13 and uh, raised our kids and got them through school and into college. And they were about to kill me with night calls. And I told my wife, we were going to die young or go back somewhere where I can be, have a, access to a, the emergency clinic. So I went back to San Antonio in 1988 and bought a practice that was going under and built it up and then uh, I had a very tolerant wife I, I'm 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 not a type of guy I've got to have something going besides veterinary medicine and I like veterinary medicine but I mean I, I need to be building a house or building a clinic or in a practice and not just sit there for 40 years which is I would have made more money and been better off if I'd have done it that way and that's a good way to do it but that wasn't my personality. So anyway, we went to Brownwood and stayed there until 88. And then I went back to San Antonio and I bought that practice, built it up and then sold it. When my wife got sick, she wanted to come up to Waco area because we have a son here who's a dentist and had two, two young boys at that time. And so we moved up here and bought an old classmates practice here in Waco in 19, in, two, in uh, 2000 and moved up here in 2000 and then uh, uh, my wife passed away in 2002 and I thought well I'll just run this practice till I drop nothing else to do and then I had been uh, uh, remarried somebody else came into my life so I had a little more interest and and then a young man in about six months after we married came by and said would you be interested in selling your practice I said well I believe I would I was 65 at that time and uh, so we sold it to him, had it done by the August, the 1st of August, he took over. And I thought, well, I'm done. And uh, so I didn't do a whole lot for a year. And then uh, I had people start calling and asking me if I did knee surgeries, anterior cruciates and things like that, luxating patellas. And I said, yeah. So I started going around to practices and doing knee surgeries for them. And then, then people started asking me to come in and relieve them for a day or two or a week. And, and after a while, I was working at about eight different places and wound up working more than I did when I had my practice. And then in, in early 2013, uh, a veterinarian that owned a really good practice here passed away. And his uh, widow uh, called me and asked me if I'd work for her until she could hire somebody or two. She could sell the practice rather. She had to sell the practice. And that took a couple of years, but then the people that bought it said, well, stay till we get to train some more people. And long story short, I've been there seven years. And so I'm still there. Wow. It's hard to stay away. Yeah. It's, it's been a great profession for me. I've, I've uh, enjoyed it a lot. I didn't get, get rich, but I, I had a good living and, uh, so I'm, I've been very blessed. Yeah. So I want to hear more about um, you growing up in the country, because you said when you were going to have children, you wanted to make sure they also grew up in the country. So what is it about your childhood 
in that area that like you really appreciated and you wanted your children to also have that experience? Uh, of course, being a county agent, my dad carried me around. Everybody in the county knew me. And so, I, you know, it was just fun to get to know people and, and it, you could do anything and everybody knew everybody. And uh, you couldn't get in too much trouble because everybody in town knew who you were. And so uh, it's, I don't know, it's just, it's just different. And uh, you get out and you grab your fishing pole or your gun and you go hunting or fishing anywhere you want to, anytime you want to. And everybody, like I say, you knew everybody, you knew who you could hunt on and who you couldn't. And people didn't mind you doing that. You can't get on anybody's property anymore. And it was kind of getting that way back when I decided I didn't want to raise my kids in the city. Uh, I wanted them to have the opportunity to be out and roam the country a little bit. Okay. And what have your children said about their upbringing? Like, have they said, oh, I really liked living out in the country. Like, tell me about you raising, and how many kids do you have? I have two boys. Uh, one's uh, the dentist here, and the other is an attorney. Uh, he lives in Denton. Uh, but they they enjoyed their upbringing in fact the the attorney went back there after he got out of law school and practiced for a few years and then decided he wanted to uh, get a phd in history and he went to north texas and did that and then he was an editor for books and different things for a while but and then he's gotten back into law now but he, they both appreciated their, their being raised in the country. Neither one of them are in the country now, but uh, they, they seem to enjoy it. They seem to talk, they talk positively about their upbringing. And the, uh, of course, it, I was raised in the ideal time. It was after World War II. Everybody was happy that there were no wars going on and their, uh, uh, things were just good. Things were prosperous and, uh, and the people generally there we didn't have a lot of the rancor we have today yeah so right after world war ii i'm just curious like if you went to the grocery store how much i'm trying to think of like what kind of food i don't know like a gallon of milk or like bread i'm just curious like, <laughs> the, cost, the cost of things back then you know, I, I didn't do much of that buying, and I don't remember that, but it wasn't much. But I do remember 14 and 15 cent gallon uh, gasoline and uh, things like that. I know my mother smoked, and you could buy a carton of 10 packages of unfiltered Camel cigarettes for $2. And we could buy Coca-Cola. In fact, I worked at the Coca-Cola plant for a while after my sophomore year, too, before I went to the lime quarry. But we could we could buy a case of Cokes in the little wooden case with the 24 bottles in it, and there were six ounce bottles, and you would take those home and you'd drink them, you'd bring them back, and get you another case and return all the bottles and the deal, and it cost a dollar for that case of 24 Cokes. Wow. And I do remember those prices, but the eggs and salt and sugar and that sort of thing i really don't know we used to make lots of homemade ice cream and stuff like that and you know i wanted to speak with you about the evolution of veterinary medicine over the past 50 years but now i'm just curious about just 
living in general, what changes that you've seen um, living in Texas? You know, just, just the cost of, you know, groceries obviously has increased. Has there been anything else you've noticed in life that you look back on? You're like, oh, wow, like it was like th that back then. Life in general was a lot slower. Of course, the country, it was slower than it was in the cities, but life was a lot slower. People weren't nearly so in a hurry all the time, even though they didn't need to be and that sort of thing. We just we kind of went with the flow and just, just seemed that we didn't have a lot of the uh, psychiatric problems and all that kind of stuff we have today. We had, we had them. And of course they kept things quieter back then. They didn't talk about cancer and things like that, that neighbors might have, but just everything just seemed simpler. And, uh, you, you know, you could depend on your neighbors, you knew your neighbors and, uh, you know, I live in a really nice little gated community and I've been here for 15 years now and we don't know, but two or three of the neighbors really well. And, uh, you know, everybody's too busy and they're doing their own thing. Yeah. I think that's the main thing I see is just the pace of everything. What, what about technology? You know, now you, you have an iPhone. Uh, what, what was it like, you know, 50 yeah. years ago growing up with technology? Well, my, us growing up, I, we didn't have a phone. Our neighbor had a phone that was crank and you'd go crank the little phone and get on the line and then you'd hear click, click, click everybody along the line. Cause it was a party line picking up to see what they could learn, what the gossip was. If it was something important, you'd say, get off the line, Vera, you know, <laughs> that type thing. But, uh, and then, you know, the first mobile phones, you know, were big old boxes in your car and that sort of thing. I never really got into those, but that's what people had. And then they started getting the little, little flip phones and so on. And of course, TV, we had one of the first TVs in the county. In fact, we had the second TV in the county, and uh, that was in 1949, black and white. Then color came along a few years later, and uh, weren't any computers. Uh, that was before the computer time, and then when they did have, well, it was during that time they were developing them, but they'd have a computer that does what this phone I'm holding in my hand does, would fill up a, a really big room. And, yeah. uh, so yeah, those type things are, have really, yeah, it's really changed everything. And I personally think it's, it's a lot of it is really good, but a lot of it's really bad because everybody just looks at their little phone. They don't, don't even want to talk on them anymore. They just text and uh, you don't have much uh, communication really with people like you used to. And I think that's part of our problems. What's reading. We don't get, get, get along as well as we used to. All right, so let's dive into the veterinary medicine, how it's evolved since the beginning, since 1964 to 2020. Yeah, well, it's a whole lot different in a <laughs> lot of ways. Uh, the kids now, uh, I think, are probably as well educated as we were for what we had to work with. They they have a lot more tools than we had and a lot more drugs and things like that. And, uh, it's, uh, here again, it was, 
you didn't worry about lawsuits, which a lot of people worry about a lot today. Uh, and uh, you just, you practiced and did the best you could and you got to know your people and the people knew you and you didn't, uh, you know, you just, uh, when I got out, we didn't have specialists except at the veterinary schools. So you couldn't send anything anywhere unless they would go to the school. And I don't know how many times I heard, oh, doc, I, uh, I'm not going to go down to a &M. You just do the best you can. And if it doesn't work, that's okay. You know, that's kind of, kind of the attitude everybody had. They just knew that, you know, you'd do the best you could. They knew you and trusted you. And so that's what we did. And I, of course, back, and another thing that's changed a lot to me, I observed that a lot of the younger veterinarians don't want to do a lot of surgeries and that's okay. But back when we got out, we did it all or it didn't get done. I done, I've done cataract surgeries. I've done back surgeries. Bone surgery was what I liked the best. and Did all kinds of surgeries like that. And uh, a lot of the younger ones don't want to do any of that or they'll spays and neuters and tumors. And then they'd rather just refer them to the, to the uh, specialist for everything else. And I personally don't think that's a good thing, but uh, I think it's good if we've got those specialists and I use them a lot, but uh, I just think it's better to kind of be able to do a lot of those simpler things anyway. But that's, that's been one big change is, is everybody, I think, partially because of lawsuits. They're afraid, oh, if I mess up on this, I should have sent them to a specialist. And so, you know, that's, that's an unfortunate part of it. But it's very fortunate to have those specialists because they're good. And, and, uh, uh, but I, it's, a lot of people have just taken an attitude, well, I'm not going to do that, that procedure because it might not go right. And so I don't want to get, get into trouble. That's one of the one of the things I don't like about some of the changes, and and I think we didn't make a lot of money when I got out of school. We gave away a lot, and we didn't know how to charge for things. And I know a few really good veterinarians that went broke because they didn't know how to run a business. And there is a business part of it, but now we're they're making good money now, so they've learned how to how to do that, and and I think. Part of that takes away somewhat from the knowing your clients as well as we used to and, and uh, being able to uh, uh, pick your charity, so to speak. If I've got a little old lady comes in on Social Security, and I know she doesn't have much money, and or she's got to have something done for a dog, well, we just did it back then, and we don't do that so much anymore. I know a lot do, but. Uh, that's changed. And I think that's not the, one of the better changes either. So, uh, and I thought of something else a minute ago, but it just left me one of my senior moments. <laughs> uh, but those, <clears throat> those are some of the things. And of course the medicines that we have now are, when I got out of school, they said, you'll have to relearn your profession about three times during your career. And now I think it's about every two or three years, you kind of have to relearn it. There's so much stuff coming out so fast, new drugs and new procedures and all that. And that all is wonderful. So, you know, that's, that's a good part of it. I'm not an old guy that's real negative because I don't like everything that's going on. There are some things that are going on in veterinary medicine that I don't like the trends, but 
overall, it's it's a wonderful profession. Profession, and I think uh, I hope we keep getting good kids in it. So the ones I'm seeing come out are really good. Yeah, and that was one of my questions. Why do you enjoy being a veterinarian? Any specific experiences that have solidified that passion for you? Well, I I don't know. I've kind of always equated. And, and I intended to be a mixed practitioner when I got out and uh, I fell into that small animal practice in San Antonio and I fell, figured, found out I could do a lot more sophisticated type surgeries and things at that time. Uh, and I know they're getting real sophisticated in a lot of large animal and horse and all that more now too, but, uh, and it was easier. Uh, than fighting those horses and cattle. So I wound up being a small animal practitioner, but uh, that uh, I've always equated veterinary medicine in the small animal practice uh, to pediatrics uh, for humans in that, you know, the patients can't tell you where they're hurting, uh, but the owners can and the mom and dad can for a child. And uh, you just kind of got to, got to work through and try to figure out what's going on with a sick animal and and uh the you you work with them and of course now the human animal bond started about 1980 and that's become very strong and there's a lot of younger couples that those dogs and cats and things are their children and they don't tend to have children and they're very attached to them and it's just very gratifying when you can get an animal come in that's badly injured or really sick and be able to put them back together or get them well. And the people are so, uh, the gratitude, uh, now as well as a long time ago, but, uh, some people now that those pets have become kind of children to them, uh, they're more demanding and that makes it a little tougher. Uh, and so I, I, uh, I respect these young people that can come out and handle that extra pressure because people can be difficult to work with sometimes, but I've always enjoyed it because people have always been in general, very grateful for what you do or try to do. So you've been able to tell me how the profession has evolved over the past 50 years. Now I'm wondering how do you envision, evol envision it evolving over the next half century? <laughs> Boy, I don't know. It's come so far <laughs> in the yeah. last 56 years. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's just amazing. And, uh, uh, I don't know. I, you know, I see things that they're doing in human medicine and, uh, we're, you know, we're following right along behind them in a whole lot of that stuff. Uh, and it's probably going to keep on going that way. Uh, uh, you know, it's just, it's amazing what they can do. They can almost replace anything, heart transplants and kidney transplants and things like that, that they do in people and they're doing them in somewhat in, in animals too. And, uh, so, you know, those type of things are possibilities and no telling what kind of new drugs and new equipment's going to be around the corner. Mm -hmm. And so what do you do outside of veterinary medicine? Um, Cause now, now you're at a point where, I mean, it sounds like you're still working a bunch, but what, you know, what do you, what's your yeah. life like now and what are your hobbies? Well, 
uh, I used to play golf. I haven't played in probably 10 years. And I'm hoping if I, if we get another veterinarian hired, we're hoping to do that by January that I won't work maybe anymore or maybe be a relief vet for them or maybe work a day a week. And, uh, then if I do that, I'd like to start playing golf again, but I collect airheads and I really like airheads and, uh, I go to shows and I trade and buy and sell stuff. And I also, uh, collect old Winchesters, old antique Winchester guns and uh, rifles. And I'm into that. And I like to go to those type of shows, old antique gun shows. And, uh, that's kind of the main things that I do. And my wife and I are pretty active. She, uh, uh, we, we take some pretty good trips every now and then. And, uh, so we're, that's pretty much what I, what I do. I've got plenty to keep me busy. So now that you're pretty much at the end of your career, what advice would you give to recent graduates and potential veterinarians? Well, before they graduate, before they even get in vet school, when people ask me about going, being a veterinarian, uh, I used to tell them, uh, if you are sure you want to be a veterinarian and deal with animals and you're still going to be dealing with people, uh, that's great. Go for it. But if you're going for the money, if you can get in vet school, you can get in med school, go to med school because you're going to make a whole lot more money. I don't tell them that so much anymore because things are changing and they're getting really not good for physicians in a way. And that's one thing I didn't mention I, is, uh, you know, the corporate world is, uh, is really getting a big foothold in veterinary medicine. And, um, I'm not sure my personal opinion about how well I like that. The, corporation that has our clinic has been really good they let you practice medicine the way you want to i've worked done relief work in some others and you do it their way or you don't do it and you know you can't use that medicine we don't do that when it's too expensive or whatever so those that's that's one of the to me is a negative it's a positive in that it runs the business more like a business and it the bottom line is usually better with the corporations because they take care of it. If, if they come in and they run the business part of it, but let you practice medicine the way you want to, I think that's great. But for young veterinarians, that's something. And a lot of them are going to, to the corporations, which is what I'm working for right now. But this one to me happens to be a very good one. Uh, but at any rate, uh, they need to decide if they want to own their own practice or if they want to go corporate or, what they what they want and uh, what style of living do you want to live in the city? You want to live in the country? You want to you know practice small animal, large animal? I, I belong to the way uh, the academy, the veterinary academy, which they just disbanded this last year. But yeah. I was I joined it the second year and I was a member of it for like thirty years and I I had to do fifty hours of continuing education to be a member of that. Yeah. And that's something that I would encourage young people to do for sure. Uh, there's just no way to keep up. And even when I started doing that and things were slower coming, uh, it was just very helpful to me. 
And uh, nowadays there's so many new drugs and new procedures and coming so fast. If you don't keep up with your education and going to CE, uh, it's, uh, it's just going to be tough to keep up. And 17 hours a year that's required by the state is probably not nearly enough, but uh, at least that's better than nothing. But I think they need, uh, you know, you just got to try to find a place you feel like you'd be happy in and in the style of practice that you when you're looking for a job to try to find someone that you feel real confident that they're a really good veterinarian and that they're an honest, honest people and that they're going to, they're going to work with you and train you and not just say, okay, here you are. I'm leaving town and uh, you're in charge for the next week. You need to, you need some time to get into a practice. And I know most schools now are having externships and things like that. And I think that's a really good thing. So, uh, you know, you got to find a, uh, a veterinarian to work for if you're going to work for somebody uh, that you feel confident is going to be a helper for you and a mentor to you. Anything else you'd like to share with listeners about your career or uh, life in general? You know, getting to live to 80, that's a privilege. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I have been... I have been extremely blessed in my life with good health, and uh, uh, that's a that's a big big plus. But uh, you should not take life too seriously, or take anything too seriously, and try to be a happy person and an optimistic person rather than negative, and look for the good side of things. There's always something good in everything. I don't care if you're talking about the present day politics which are just awful uh there'll be a silver lining somewhere sometime and you just got to keep that positive attitude that was dr doyle cooper or bud to those who know him well talking about his dad's influence on his career why he enjoyed growing up and raising his children in the country and the importance of taking continuing education to stay up-to-date on the latest advancements in veterinary medicine. He also discussed how veterinary medicine has changed over the past 56 years, as well as life in general. I want to thank Dr. Chad Harris for suggesting Dr. Cooper be a guest on the show. And we're always open to ideas, so if you would like to hear from a veterinarian or a licensed veterinary technician, email me. My email is in the show notes. Thank you for tuning in to Veterinary Vitals. I'm your host, Dina Goldstein from TVMA. TVMA.